Welcome to our podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Voss. We now find ourselves in the epiphany season of the church year, a season of the church year in which God reveals truths to us about our Savior and about our salvation. And today we begin a new sermon series entitled Uncovered. Today we take a look at our Lord's baptism in the Jordan River, and we see there an anointing uncovered with the reminder that what our eyes see differs from what God decrees. Our sermon text today is Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, and verses 21 and 22. May God bless you as you hear and take to heart the truths of his holy word. Today's gospel reading from Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but someone mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. I am well pleased with you. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. My dear family in Christ. We're now in the epiphany season of the church here. Epiphany is a word that literally means to show forth to manifest something, to make it known. The epiphany leads us to think, for instance, about those first wise men who came to visit the newborn king, the Savior sent from heaven, and worshipped him. And these Gentile wise men made known to the world that this Savior born at Bethlehem was not just born for a select group of people, but for all the world. Epiphany. You might think about this season of the church year as a time for our gracious Lord to show forth things about our great Savior and his salvation. This is a time for God to reveal wonderful things to us through the teachings of his holy word. A time when God uncovers gospel gems for us. And so today we begin a new series of sermons following that theme, Uncovered. In the upcoming weeks, in the Epiphany season, we're going to focus on what God uncovers for us. Each week, he'll uncover a new truth for us to believe, something for us to remember, a new gem for us to lay hold of and take to heart. And we begin this week with our Savior's baptism in the Jordan River. Jesus' baptism at the Jordan River was an anointing. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 tells us that this Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And that's exactly what happened as the 30-year-old Jesus made his way to the Judean wilderness 
and asked John to baptize him in the Jordan River. That's when Christ Jesus began his three-year public earthly ministry. That baptism of our Lord was God's way of introducing to the world this Savior sent from heaven. Today, as we think about that anointing uncovered, let's come to see that in the kingdom of God, what our eyes see often differs from what God decrees. What's the old expression? I think my eyes are playing tricks on me. That happens from time to time, but for the most part, of our five senses, our sight is the sense that we trust the most. Experts tell us that we perceive up to 80% of all impressions by means of what we see. That was true for the disciple named Thomas, wasn't it? When the rest of the group told him that they had seen the Lord risen from the dead, he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I will never believe. There's some Thomas in all of us, right? How often haven't you said to yourself, look, I'll believe it when I see it, or said to someone, don't tell me, show me. Because if we see something for ourselves with our very own eyes, well, then we're ready to accept it as fact. And you know what? That kind of an approach may serve us very well in many, many areas of life. It might keep us from making a silly mistake. It might keep us from being fooled by something or someone. But that kind of an approach becomes problematic when it comes to our life in the kingdom of God. Because what our eyes see often differs from what God decrees. The Old Testament prophet Samuel learned that lesson we heard about it earlier in our Old Testament reading. The Lord had told his prophet, I I want you to go to Bethlehem, specifically to the house of a man named Jesse, and I want you to anoint one of his sons as the next king in Israel. And so Jesse had his son stand before Samuel, and immediately Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, this has got to be the one. Big, tall, strapping, handsome young man. Had king written all over him, even had the perfect name. Eliab means, my God is a father. But Eliab wasn't God's choice. Instead, it was the youngest, David, out tending the sheep, a shepherd boy. The Lord, who looks at the heart, decreed that David was the right choice. By God's decree, Samuel anointed David as the next king in Israel. What our eyes see often differs from what God decrees. That certainly was true in the life of Jesus. John the Baptist was busy doing the work that the Lord had sent him to do. He was out in the Judean countryside preaching a a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, telling people to prepare their hearts for the coming Savior. We heard about that in the Advent season. Well, the Lord so thoroughly blessed the ministry of John the Baptist that some of those coming out to meet him started wondering out loud, Could this John possibly be the promised Messiah, the Christ? John immediately set the record straight. And God's decree was clear. Someone mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy 
to untie the strap of his sandals. Jesus is coming by God's decree to save the sinful human race and to reconcile sinners to their God. Okay. But by the looks of things, by what people saw with their eyes, perhaps Jesus didn't seem to fit that bill. I imagine that when the people of his day looked at Jesus, well, for the most part, he didn't look all that mighty or even all that worthy. Born in Bethlehem? Placed in a manger bed? This Savior sent from heaven and, and his parents, Joseph and Mary? Common, ordinary folks from up north in Galilee? Certainly, the Son of God sent from heaven would come from a better pedigree than that. He's been living up in that out-of-the-way town called Nazareth for the first 30 years of his life. As the people back then used to say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And John, this Jesus doesn't look so different. Just like all the others, he comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by you. If he really is the promised Christ and the Savior sent for sinners, then why in all the world is he being baptized? And even in the course of the next three years, evaluating Jesus with only human eyes would have left the average person unimpressed and underwhelmed. He walked around with a, a group of a dozen disciples, for the most part unschooled, ordinary men, tax collectors, some fishermen. He travels around from town to village, doesn't own a home, doesn't make any serious money. The Pharisees and the experts in the law were constantly labeling him a phony and a blasphemer. And at the end of the three years, he's put to death on a cross the modern-day equivalent of the electric chair, reserved for the worst of criminals. Okay, so ignore what your human eyes see. Cancel conventional thinking. When it comes to Jesus, trust what God declares about him. What does God decree? A voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. This son of Joseph and Mary, this is God the Father's everlasting son. He has no beginning and has no end. This one who looks so much like just another 30-year-old Jewish man is in truth the eternal son of God. And the father was pleased with this Christ who had willingly entered into this world to be our savior. He was lowered into that manger bed in Bethlehem just as he was lowered down from heaven to earth to come and be our substitute. He'd been living up north in Nazareth of Galilee just as it was foretold about him in the Old Testament scriptures. He steps into the waters of the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And as John pours those waters of baptism over him, we come to understand this is not like the others. This is not a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus had no sin. Jesus doesn't get baptized by John to become adopted into God's family. He is the eternal Son of God, always has been, always will be. 
So what is Jesus doing getting baptized? His anointing uncovered him as the promised Savior. He stands there to carry out the Father's will. He said, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. He he stands there and is baptized to identify with the very sinners that he'd come to save. And he doesn't enter into his public ministry to make boatloads of money. Instead, he comes to preach and teach and decree the priceless treasures of the gospel so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And he didn't enter into his public ministry so that he could afford a beautiful mansion to live in there in ancient Palestine. He rather came and carried out his work on our behalf so that we can look forward to living in a heavenly mansion forevermore, in a paradise God has waiting for us. And he was put to death on the cross as our substitute, our Savior, the innocent one, giving his life for the guilty. He died to pay for all of our sins, including all of the times when we've been so slow to believe and so apathetic about living for him, loving him, serving him in faith. What our eyes see differs from what God decrees. And there it is, baptism at our Savior's anointing with the Holy Spirit and with power as Jesus stood in the Jordan River, as the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, as the Father's voice boomed from the heavens, God introduced and uncovered for the world the only Savior this world would ever get. He is the one who came to love us and to forgive us and to save us, the one who gives us every reason, every day, to put it mildly, to be well-pleased with him. When it comes to Jesus, what our eyes see differs from what God decrees, but if you think about it, that's also true of us, isn't it? Prior to God's perfect decree about us, there was nothing nothing to set us apart from the crowd. We were born into this world sinful through and through. We are, by nature, like all the rest, objects of God's wrath and hopelessly lost to hell forever. And it's not just who we are. It's the fact that nothing that we have done in any way merits or earns the status that God bestows on us when he connects us and and joins us to Christ. And yet, what did God decree about you at your baptism? He came and said to you, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are now a child of your father in heaven. I love you and I have washed away your sin. I've adopted you into my family. I have anointed you with grace and have made you my own forevermore. I have declared you justified. You are not guilty. I have made you not only my child, but a son and an heir of everlasting life in heaven's glory. With you, believer, God says, in Christ I am well pleased. What our eyes see differs, though, from what God decrees. That's true even after he makes us his very own, isn't it? Because, see, when when God made you his child, 
you also got a whole new set of enemies in your life. The devil, the ungodly influence of an unbelieving world, your own sinful flesh will do everything in their power to lead you into sin and to lead you away from Christ. Now think about this. Truth be told, when people look at our lives carefully, they likely see things, right? Words and bad attitudes, sinful things that we do and good things that we don't do that look nothing like the new creatures that God has declared us in Christ to be. But of course, the God who knows everything knows that we need daily assurances of what he has graciously decreed about us when he brought us to faith. I mean, we see ourselves, and while God has declared us to be holy and righteous, we see ourselves often as anything but. And we grow timid and afraid. And the guilt takes over and the despair sets in. So what did God do? He wouldn't have had to, but he graciously decides to join his decree about you to a visible sign, to some water, connected with his powerful promises, poured out on your head in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now what does that do? Even in those moments when I see myself as the hopeless, as some hopeless sinner beyond the reaches of God's forgiving grace, especially in those moments, he points me back to my baptism and to his objective, unchangeable decree. He, he said in Galatians chapter 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Friend, you are not a phony, you are not a flop, and you are not a failure. You are a member of God's family. You are his dearly loved child, and your baptism tells you so. So if it's true that we receive 80% of our impressions from what we see, well then, Lord, help me to keep on seeing Jesus with the eyes of faith. To see him coming to the Jordan to begin his public ministry so that he could be our savior. To see his cross. To see Easter's empty tomb. To look back at our baptism and to see what your grace did for us when you made us your children and connected us to your Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this gracious anointing that you have uncovered for us in Christ. Amen.